all up. Why would she lie about it? For attention, the girl has some serious issues. What if she did it? What if Sydney killed Casey and Steve? Why would she do that? Maybe she had the hots for Steve and killed them both in each other's range. What would Sydney want with Steve? She's her own bubble butt boyfriend, Billy. Maybe she's a slut, just like her mother. You're evil. Please, the common fact. Her mother was a tramp. Cut some slack. She watched her mom get butchered. Yeah, and it fucked her up royally. Think about it. Her mother's death leaves her disturbed and hostile in a cruel and inhumane world. She's delusional. Where's God, etc. Completely suicidal. One day she snaps. She wants to kill herself, but she realizes that teen suicide is out this year, and homicide is a much healthier therapeutic expression. Where do you get this shit? Ricky Bay? Oh, you are pathetic. Ugh, oh, you are pathetic. So my first thought is, oh, this is who we would play in Scream. Oh, Mary, completely. I'll be the cheerleader. You will be mom pants. Yeah, (laughs) mom pants. Khaki ass. (laughs) I mean, just the most poorly fitting pants to ever, you know, come out of a limited two in in the late nineties. Yeah, where did she get that barrette? Claire's? Uh, it's just like... Did she get her ears pierced for free while she was there? So, honestly, if I'm being totally honest, I know this episode is about the entire movie of Scream, but I could talk about this bathroom scene for probably about an hour. This scene, to me, it, it, it encompasses everything that I love about the movie Scream, And I'll just talk about the structure of the scene first. First of all, you also don't know if this is real. The audio of these girls talking sounds so echoey. And I know it's in the bathroom, but it's even more echoey with more reverb than it needs as if it's in Sydney's head. So Mm. there's this like reality slash not reality. What is real? What is her? What is not? That's going on at play here. The other thing is, is that what I love about the movie Scream and most scenes take this format, it starts out as B-horror movie, 80s dialogue. Terrible, Mm -hmm. right? And almost to like a campy comedic effect. And uh, and then the scene shifts to this, this new slasher movie, kind of horror or scary. Right. So and and that's what happens in this bathroom scene is we start out with these two campy girls that that have the most amazing dialogue, amazing dialogue. Delivery is on point. The way they look is on point. Everything about it, the the nuance of her putting on the lipstick, everything is so perfect, pitch perfect about that whole scene. And then it switches to Sydney coming out, looking in the mirror, kind of crying and then. It turns, right? Because then the killer uh, comes and attacks her at school. And I feel like the whole movie does that. It starts out as this funny, quirky, campy thing, and then it turns into something kind of scary. Well, and I think even in even in the conversation they're having, because like the first half of that conversation is the conversation that two mean girls would have in the bathroom of one of these 1980s horror movies that Scream is kind of doing an homage to. Um, yes. And then I feel like where it really turns is obviously when 
the cheerleader says, you know, think about it. Her mother's death leaves her disturbed and hostile. And she goes in that whole monologue. And it's like, mm. oh, this is that that level of intelligence and, and self-awareness and, like, greater awareness that comes with this new lens like it's it's the whole point mm. of scream is like it's a straightforward slasher but there's also that meta lens to it there's also that like hyper intelligent lens to it that it's looking at it from a different perspective commentary yeah mm -hmm. yeah um, it's commenting on the genre while it's giving us an exact replica of the genre. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. But but even more nuanced, and there are changes. Obviously, there were things that Scream did as a movie, as a script, that that kind of reinvigorated, uh, if that's the right word, the, the genre of slasher. But I gotta, I, we just have to talk about some of these lines. Bubble butt boyfriend Billy is perfect. Uh, I mean, it, <laughs> it definitely... I mean, I was I was appreciative of Skeet Ulrich. Ulrich. I don't know if it's Rick or Rich, but Ulrich. Uh, yeah. It's thick. It's thick. Um, blah blah blah. <laughs> because when they have the sex scene later, there is one point where I was like, "Oh, there, there's some gold in them hills." <laughs> He's got a bubble butt. Yeah. He's a bubble butt boy. Ah, Skeet, Skeet Ulrich. Oh, God. <laughs> oh God. no! It is. Oh God! And her delivery. She knew exactly what she was doing. Oh, bubble butt boyfriend Billy. It's oh God! It's so sing songy. It works. It fits in the mouth so well. I. Oh God! How can you not just like love this? It it's it just tastes so good. Um, and then the one that I quote all the time. Maybe she's a slut, just like her mother. I, there's something about that delivery because it is so evil that it it's it's a rea it's it's a reaction to anything. I feel like right. Mm -hmm. It's like oh well, wait, what happened to Mary? Maybe she's a slut, just like her, <laughs> like her mother. mother. Yeah. <laughs> it's like oh wait, what did you do on Friday? <laughs> Maybe she's a slut. Yeah. Has anyone, anyone seen Sydney? We're all supposed to do this group project together. Maybe she's a slut, just like her mother. <laughs> and also out of context, I think is so funny because obviously, like, you know, there's this whole backstory of Sydney's mother and being the town town floozy. But uh, out of context, not knowing anything, it's like, wait, why are you? Why are you? This is a mama joke? You right, know? right. It's so just like, okay, uh, just stretch before that reach. Yeah. Maybe she's a slut, just like her mother. While she's putting on the lipstick. Oh, my God. And then the other girl. It's an interesting thing that the other girl kind of calls out how mean she's being. Because you don't expect it. Because mm -hmm. they they, it starts out kind of mean. Like, I think she made the whole thing up. Blah, 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 blah. Uh, but then this other girl, the, the khaki pants mom, she kind of is like, wait, come on, stop. That's so mean, right? You're evil. Mm -hmm. And then the, the I love... Hearing it, but seeing Sydney's face when she says, please, it's a common fact. Her mother was a tramp. The lingo, the the noun, a tramp. Well, I was going to say, a young a girl to use tramp. Yeah, it's like no, one's, no one says tramp unless they're trying to not say <laughs> slut, you know? Her mother was a tramp. I just, oh, and then Sydney starts touching her neck. Sydney, Nev Campbell touching her neck, her face in this movie yeah. is so iconic, but it, particularly in this scene, she's like sweating. 
it's so good and so over the top. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And it's, you know, uh, the way I've always remembered this scene, of course, is then obviously she does get attacked by the ghost face killer. I was sure that there was elements of her crawling on the floor through the through the stalls to get away from him. It turns out that never happened. No, that doesn't happen. That might be. What is that from? That might be. It might be another movie. I don't think that happens in the beginning of Scream Two. No, he just gets stabbed. Jada Smith. Yeah. yeah, he just gets stabbed. Uh, I I I know what you're talking about. Is that? I feel like that might be even copycat. <gasps> oh, oh my God! Wow, I think you're right, and I don't know what the scene is that someone gets attacked in the bathroom, but I feel like it's in copycat. She gets confronted by Oh, him. that's the thing. That's the thing. It's Sigourney Weaver. It's in the opening. She gets confronted, and then he hangs her, and she's got the red dress on. Yes. Oh. Yes. Oh, we gotta, that's the scene. We got to do copycats sometime. It's got, it's got Holly Hunter in it. Oh, Holly Hunter. I saw one of the worst Halloween costumes ever on the internet the other day. It was somebody dressed in a cat costume, but on their T-shirt, it said, uh, Control C. Um, and their costume. <laughs> oh my god! Of course, yeah. Was a copycat. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it, it might as well have said Xerox on it. Right. You know? I mean, I think the the fact that it said Control C and not just copy was kind of clever. So I'll give them that. But uh. <laughs> but uh, w- honestly, more importantly, we should do copycat sometime. Okay. No, I'm all for it. That is, yeah, that's with um. That guy that you hate, uh, the singer, right? Oh, Harry Connick Jr. He is in yeah, it. Harry I don't Harry know Jr. if I hate yeah. Harry Connick Jr. I don't hate Harry Connick Jr. I want to go on the record. Okay. I don't okay. hate him, but okay. uh, he's no Michael Bublé. I thought he... Michael Bublé right. no I Michael, struggle yeah. with, yeah. Yes, yes. I, I feel like you struggle with Harry Connick Jr. because of his music. It's like if somebody put on the Cherry Pop and Daddy. Yeah, you know, I think it's like, I think if I went, if I saw Harry Connick performing and he started doing jazz snaps and like biting his lower lip, I would not like Harry Connick Jr. as much. Got it. I did love him in Little Man Tate. Oh, see, I still haven't seen that. You've talked about that for years and I know. The oh, Weast is in it. God. I know. Jodie Foster. I know. Isn't it? Mary. I know. Oh no, I know. You are missing out. It feels like a Clipper fall movie. Sail in the ocean. It is a fall movie. Yeah, I feel it like is. it's got a lot of yeah. like, I don't know, yeah. fall colors. Sure. And he's so cute in it. The guy from the Ice Storm. He's so cute. Little Man Tate uh, has. Let's yeah. see. The guy from the Ice Storm. You mean the kid? Yeah, the kid. Fred. Fred Tate. Mm-hmm. Um, Fred Tate is uh, the little brother in. Oh God, yeah, the Ice Storm. That's a movie we got to do at some point too. That's some dark shit. Uh, the key, the key parties. Talk about Sigourney Weaver. Sigourney anyway, Weaver. Yeah, we're here to we're here to talk about Scream. I I could go on moment by moment, line by line with this bathroom scene um, and why I love it, but I won't. I'll spare you. I've I've given you enough of why the fact that the scene ends on such a perfect button of like, where do you get this shit? Ricky Lake. And then sh- even further, ugh, you are pathetic. Just the way she, pathetic. Oh, I love it. I don't know if anybody told her. To, yeah. Did somebody tell her to do that? Did they just like hire kind of like Nomi Malone's for this? I, I just don't know how they did this to make the tone so 
perfect and so in line with Drew Barrymore's performance in the beginning because Drew Barrymore does the exact same thing that these girls are doing in the in the beginning of the movie. I think just to name these ladies in the bathroom because I I do want to mention one thing. Um, so uh, Mom Pants from the Limited Two is played by Nancy Ann Ritter, who doesn't have a, a significant. Uh, career. Both of them have fairly brief, at least, movie careers on IMDb. But then the cheerleader is played by Lenora Skelfo, and she also just has three movie credits. But what I love the most is, A, I read this in the trivia, and I don't know which one of them it is, but one of them was Skeet Ulrich's girlfriend. Uh, <gasps> I guess maybe at the time or something, but I know that there's a connection. But... Uh, if it's Lenora Sculfo, well, she's married to Gary Rabinowitz now, so it doesn't matter. But more importantly, the cheerleader has a personal quote attributed to her in IMDb. Don't mess with my serenity. <laughs> and I just love that's her, oh, that's wow. her personal quote okay. that's attributed to her on IMDb. So I love that this woman who's such a who's this cheerleader in the bathroom putting on lipstick, quoting Ricky Lake, uh I love thinking of her saying, don't mess with my serenity. You know what my response to that is? Maybe she's a slut. Maybe just like her mother. (laughs) You're pathetic. (laughs) God, To call someone's mother a slut is also so over the top. Like, oh, yeah, her mother was such a slut. Like, oh, my God. Yeah, it's a big (laughs) statement. Yeah, like, oh, yeah, her mom's a slut. Yeah, who says that? Like, <laughs> it's crazy. It's crazy. It's so outlandish. I love this scene. I, I think this scene is probably is probably my favorite scene in this entire movie, which I know is shocking because there are some really fabulous scenes in this. So without further ado, let's jump into Scream. And I don't know where you want to start, but I wonder if we can just start at the beginning. Well, that's that's what I was going to suggest because I do love the 13 minutes of the movie that Drew Barrymore is in. I love the set piece of it. I love the feeling Mm. of it. I love the color of it. I love, like... There's something for what Scream ended up being and and the kind of, you know, shift that it made, the the cultural zeitgeist, so to speak, that and its influence on it. I I feel like that opening scene, starting with the phone call, like wasting zero time. Yeah. The the formula of starting with the phone call in this like perfect scenario. Like like this opening could be a short film. It's a perfect scenario. Of someone oh, completely. alone in this, you know, house in the middle of nowhere with lots of doors and lots of windows and popcorn on the stove. That's like a total act one yeah. gun, you know. Right. The phone ringing during dimension films. Right. Mm-hmm. Like that is so memorable to me. Yeah. That we hear that that specific cordless phone ring while that the credits, you know, uh, you know, uh, dissolve into mm-hmm. the shot. I love that for sure. This is such a set piece. Yeah. Um. And and again, to, just to kind of go back to my lens about, we start with like kind of terrible dialogue, can't be acting, and then it just it just moves into this other amazing thing. Like I I just think it's so well done. Well, I think like. This scene is a great micro example of yeah, what the whole script and the whole movie is doing because, yeah, it starts with a classic situation that we've seen before. You know, if you've seen When a Stranger Calls, if you've seen any other number of slashers, you've seen a scenario like this. But I think what what then 
showed us this other side of Scream was like then becoming referential of horror movies that are doing this exact thing and then making Mm -hmm. it all about, you know, kind of tying back to, you know, the very thing that we feel like we're walking through the paces of and like realizing, oh, Scream is in on what it's doing right now, you know? And I think that first scene, what's so brilliant about this and about that first scene in a movie that kind of started a new trend is that it was such a show don't tell of like, here's what we're going to be doing with the genre. Like here's a whole new way of doing it where it's all like all of the tropes and all of the even cliches are on purpose and then twisted. Yeah. Right down to, do you want to play a game, right? This idea that the game is horror movie trivia. The fact that the, the two psychopaths that are running this whole show are also obsessed with horror that the voice of the writer is the, the killers at the end of the movie. Like they're doing what the writer is doing to the genre. Mm-hmm, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Just exploiting everything, exploiting it, but also not giving us anything that different because it is the psychopathic uh, horror movie obsessed boys at the end. You know what I mean? Well, that's kind of what I love about Scream is that when you when you take away all of the like you know, the, some of the, you know, the, the self-referential dialogue and some of those meta Randy moments and all of that, it, it's, a, it's, and I don't mean this as a, as a dig, it's a by the books slasher in that it follows yep. the model that you would come to expect. We know the moment that Stu's going to have a party that shit's going to go down at that party, you know, like, because sure. it's not the first time we've seen that happen in a horror movie where there's a, a party and that becomes the setting for act three and you know the moment you see tatum you're like well okay don't get attached to her you know like Mm -hmm. there is there's elements of this that are so obvious and then i think there's elements like gail weathers that are kind of fresh because that character dies in the 80s like she oh totally dewey Mm -hmm. dewey should be dead i I, big shout out to evan ross Katz who was uh, talking to me about that like there's no reason why dewey should have survived because he's just like so underdeveloped and he should have died gail and him should have died yeah it it was kind of a, a nice surprise that there were more than one survivor there was more than one survivor at the end of the movie and it made me realize like oh i don't need i mean i love you know the idea of a final girl and all that but kind of like the invitation, I love when a couple people survive. And I love when mm-hmm. I don't know who it's going to be. I mean, you know, Sydney, you assume as much. But I, I liked the surprise that Gail survived and Randy survived and even Dewey. Because it was like, I don't know. That, I, that was That's one of the things about horror movies sometimes that put me off or that I've become more sensitive to is like, oh, no, everyone has to die except her, you know? Mm. Yeah, that I mean, there's a, a big body count in this movie, and yet we still get, you know, three or four players that, that survive. Yeah. Um, yeah, it, it, there were some interesting choices, right? It's like Henry Winkler. I guess th- th- at some point I would figure the reason why they were killing off certain characters was so that the audience could rule them out as suspects. Yeah, and I think that's, I mean, like, Ultimately, I, I was kind of watching it from the lens of knowing that it's Billy and Stu of how they navigate away from that and how to keep us on our toes about that. And, mm-hmm. and, and it's right. You know, it, it's, you know, I, I mean, I remember the first time I saw Scream. I mean, it was like, you know, I was 14 and I had no idea that it was going to be Billy and Stu. And so watching it now 
it's hard to tell because I know the story so well. Like, is it really obvious now or is it just familiarity? You know what I mean? Um, but th- that's the thing. It's obvious the entire movie. Yeah. And in if some ways. About yeah. It, yeah. It's, it's obvious the entire movie. And yet I remember seeing this when I was young. So granted, like I'm young when I'm seeing this. So it's, it's hard to tell what was obvious, but like, I remember it being confusing. And being like, is it Dewey? Mm-hmm. Or, oh my gosh, is it the cop? Oh my gosh, is it the dad? Mm-hmm. Right? There's so many twists and turns. But if you stop and think about it, there were Easter eggs the entire time that it was fucking Billy Loomis yeah. and Stu. It was almost so obvious, at least that it was Billy, that there was like, you almost say, oh, well, no, there's no way it actually could be because it's yeah. so fucking obvious, you know? Right. And we And they just set up the whole movie by killing off the final girl. So I'm already in this place of like, oh, I don't know what to expect now. Mm-hmm. Right, right. And I think I love that too, that going into this, people saw Drew Barrymore in the cast and on the on the you know the cover art of the poster of the movie and thought, oh, okay, it's Drew Barrymore. Like, yeah. she's going to survive more than 13 minutes of this movie. And... Uh, she's never been kissed. You yeah, know? She, you know. Um, <laughs> you can't promenade alone. Um, I'm 17. <laughs> Yikes. <Yeah>. Stripes. <laughs> um, so, uh, but back to this opening scene, if I were to ask you name four things about this scene that if you saw them, you would go scream. Like if you just saw them out of context, yep. you'd go scream. Yep. I would say, um, the glass patio door. Oh. The jiffy pop. Okay. The knife in the knife block. Oh. And Casey's white sweater. That's what mm. I need. All right. There's All others, right. but those, I mean, sure. those. if you gave me those four, I would know immediately. Okay. So for me, I think it's probably in order. The jiffy pop. Yep. Number one, number one, Jiffy Pop. Whenever I, I've made Jiffy Pop in the past, uh, people who don't have microwaves usually make Jiffy Pop uh, is what I found. Or if you're camping or something. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so so Jiffy Pop, number one, the blue screen. Yes. I think it's also so 1996. Yes. So this movie. That was my, if I had a fifth, it'd be the blue screen. Absolutely. The phone. Well, of course. That specific white cordless phone with the little sticky out mouthpiece. Oh. Yeah. Yes. And then her outfit. Yeah. Her outfit is is equally iconic. If I'm not going to count the scream mask because that was also revealed in this movie or in this scene. But yeah, no, those four things for me, uh, like I would be able, yeah, for sure. I mean, mm-hmm. just the Jiffy Pop alone. It's like, oh no, scream. Scream. Of sure. course. I mean, yeah, if you, if you had to keep narrowing it down to the most telling detail, it would come down to the Jiffy Pop. Uh, because even the phone, you you might think it's another scene in Scream, you know. Uh, right, right. That's true. Yeah, uh, that's true. I will say, I will say about this opening scene, what helped it kind of become so campy in the canon is, I think it was in the sequel, right, where we see scenes. Yeah, we do. <gasps> right in the opening scene of Stab, we see them kind of mock this movie. In Scream 2. And see, I, I, I can't remember the actress's name who does it, but somebody plays Drew Barrymore. Is it Tori Spelling? I, no, Tori Spelling was going to play uh, Nev Campbell. Yeah. But um, the 
the fact that they kind of did what Drag Race does, where it kind of quotes itself, mm-hmm. also helps it become iconic. It was so smart. Uh, so just to, to uh, answer your question, it was Heather Graham. Oh, of course. Yeah. Oh, my God, of course. Yeah. Uh, fabulous yeah. choice. And, like, I think Heather, when I think of, like, oh, they're going to cast, you know, Tori Spelling in that role, I think you could say the same thing about they're going to cast Heather Graham in that role. You know, like, mm-hmm. in terms of, like, mm-hmm. ugh, you know. <laughs> and no offense to them. We love Tori Spelling and Trick. Yeah. Where are the cheese? Where's the right. cheese for these fucking fries? <laughs> You know, and uh, you, uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> but I, there, uh, it means no, something. It. Yeah, yeah. No, it does. Um, but uh, I mean, that's what also kind of helped us look back on this scene as something that was so kind of comedic in a way. Because when you first saw it, like back in 1996, you see the first scene of this movie. You're not laughing at the way she says making popcorn. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. You know, you're not laughing at that. You don't get it yet. Yeah. Well, it, it's, I think, because of Scream and then all of the other movies that followed, like, we started to kind of see through the artifice of that setup that, again, like, that opening is, in and of itself, is not original. I've seen that no. opening, you know. It's perfect. Yeah, but it's the it's the lack of originality and the original approach to it. It's the, like... Being mm-hmm. aware that we're doing the opening scene in a horror movie right now, in quotes, you know? Yes, um, yes. And, and I mean, I also think what's great about this scene is all of the little elements that kind of inform our fears. You know, if you're in that situation, I think, oh, my God, like, you got to check all the doors and lock the doors and the lights are on and he can see you and, like, do you turn the lights off? And, like, the whole time I'm watching this, I'm thinking, what would I be doing in this situation? And in... I'll I'll give her this in a lot of cases what Casey does like I very rarely feel like oh like you made the wrong decision you know what I mean like I feel like she you made the wrong decision I feel like Sorry. she made good decisions uh you know and and like there wasn't really that moment of like oh that's so stupid of course you're going to die now you know um right and I like that I like that often in these movies the character makes dumb decisions and you're, you kind of like know they're doomed, but because mm-hmm. Casey is making largely good decisions that I don't really like, I think there's a chance she's going to survive. Even when I know she's going to die, I hold out hope, you know, she, the, the smartest decision was when she snuck out the patio door and, you know, and after she saw him in the house, she snuck out. She should have run at that point well like she yes that was just booked it that was the thing because i thought oh you yeah you could have run that was the one part i wouldn't have hid there very long um but then yeah i mean uh it's so i had forgotten how gruesome her death was that it was like yeah. oh this goes on this is a bit of torture okay yeah um yeah yeah, it's a slasher movie. Yeah, but it was like, oh, they really like. She doesn't just get stabbed and the movie starts. She gets hacked up and gutted and oh, hung, hung and yeah, um, hanged. hanged yeah. Oh, oh, hanged. She hanged. Uh, she was hanged. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but I'll say this. I'll say this. What we did get, Casey's mother. Oh, that's who you would play. Oh, I'd play Casey's mother and Mom Pants in the bathroom. I, oh, and you'd also play uh, Tatum's mom. <laughs> is she in this? <laughs> T- 
Tatum's mom. She's the one, um, and Dewey's mom. She's the one that like comes in and is like, oh, you have a phone call, Sydney. Oh, right, 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 right. Oh, yeah, I forgot I had that small role as well as Tatum's mom. Uh, <laughs> but Casey's mom, uh, played by Carla Hatley, for mm. the brief time she's in the movie, she's only has this credit on IMDb. It's not like she's been in a bunch of stuff. She, oh, she delivers. Oh. Mary, these little, this this movie was cast perfectly. Down to these small bit roles. Casey Becker's Mrs. Becker. She is the perfect Mrs. Becker. All of these roles were cast with the horror genre in mind. And they all were directed or knew exactly which tone to lean into. Even the father of or Casey's father, mm-hmm. both of them were perfect for these par- unknowing parents that come home and then panic. And then her listening to her daughter dying on the phone. Like there's, everything is so good about this scene. It it just sits as its own little art piece. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I I cannot go on and on and on without kind of screeching halt and saying we have to talk about Drew Barrymore's performance here. Yeah. We really do. Yeah. We really do. I I think that she's great. I think that she, you know, I mean, you think about this, like, what was this, the same year, the, maybe the year before Never Been Kissed, you know, where it was Drew Barrymore kind of, you know, at her most chewing her cheeks kind of Drew Barrymore delivery, you know what I mean? <laughs> Well, you know, I mean, you know, uh, it's like she does that thing. But in this, she's her cheeks are fully out of her teeth. And she's I I really enjoy her. There was a part of me that was like, oh, I I would not have been mad at Drew Barrymore as Sidney Prescott. At the time, it would have made sense. But we also then wouldn't have gotten Nev Campbell as Sidney Prescott, which is is really is like. It's this whole other podcast is Nev Campbell as Sidney Prescott um, in all of the movies, right? But because uh, I think I love Nev the best in Scream 2, but we'll get into that a little bit later. This Drew Barrymore in this movie, I'm, I just want to make sure. So she was in The Wedding Singer and Ever After and Home Fries in 1998, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So like after this, she had that and then Never Been Kissed was 1999. Oh, 99, this, of course. Yes. Yeah. Before this, she had Mad Love and Boys on the Side. And she had her whole, like, child actress career. Well, well. obviously, but I'm saying, like, right before this. Mm -hmm. And then she also had that really amazing cameo in Wayne's World 2 when she played the Swedish uh, secretary. Oh, that's... um, I'll take your word for that. I don't know that. I don't know her. I'm from Sweden. It's so good. Um, But otherwise, yeah, there's... uh, she was just Drew Barrymore, right? And Boys on the Side. I think she was. It was big that she was in Boys on the Side, mm-hmm. and people. She was kind of coming back as, oh, she's no longer a child, mm-hmm. you know. Well, she was um, in Poison Ivy in '92. I feel like there was that period where Drew was like, she got sexy for a little. She got a little sexy for a little bit. And sexy. I, I did not see Poison Ivy. I haven't either. I'm just aware of it. Oh, okay. okay. I just know three things about um, it. Yeah. <laughs> great. Um, well, anyway, I there's. So she's—I don't know if she was directed this way, or some nobody told her to do that, or what. But like the tone was so perfect in the beginning, and then when like "Gut You Like a Fish" line happens, which is also equally iconic, mm. then her performance 
just becomes perfect. I my favorite line of Drew Barrymore's is Jason, Jason. I love how how sure she is, mm. and then it ends with like that whole sequence all the way to you tricked me. Yeah, um, yeah. It's she's you know I think that's the other part of it is like a lot of times the you know the the person who gets killed in the opening scene or the people who get killed in the opening scene of a horror movie. You don't really get attached to them. You don't really deeply sympathize with them. They're there to be killed. They're there to be the mm-hmm. the prologue of the movie. And I think with Casey, it's like we, it's sort of surprising how like very quickly I I grew very attached to her. I liked her. I didn't think she was annoying. I didn't think her crying was annoying. I felt like, uh, it like I sympathized with her the way I would sympathize with a final girl. And so it was, uh, at no point during this opening did I think, oh, I'm just here to like see an opening kill you know while my popcorn's still hot you know sure sure or while it's still popping Mm. in in the jiffy pop kind of sense yeah yeah uh again another beautiful like aspect of this scene is just the storyline of the popcorn oh my god it's so good it it's it's an added tension of the whole time we know that the popcorn's on fire yeah yes yes and and you know much like the movie it starts out right and and it it's not working yet, and then it starts popping, and then it fucking burns, yeah. and then it smokes up the whole house, mm-hmm. and everything's ruined. Oh my god! I just I can't say enough good things about this scene, but I know we have to move on. I just really appreciate how '90s it is, and and how it challenged everything. I mean, it it's worth saying the obvious that 1996 was a long fucking time ago. I mean, oh, I know. It was. Oh God. I, I just like when I like looked this up to watch it last night, and I was like, oh God, it was ninety six. Oh, like it's just that funny thing of for the longest time, I think a lot of people have had this that like once we got into the you know into the two thousands for the for the longest time, I think a lot of people held on to this idea that oh the nineties that's like ten years ago, right? That was a decade ago, <laughs> right? And. <laughs> It's sort of set in in 2020 of like, oh, no, that was such a long time ago. Like there there are people listening who were not born when Scream came out, who are fully <laughs> formed adults with a with an appreciation of nuance and bad dad jokes who were not born when this came out. Uh God, and that, that's not a problem because we weren't born when Let's Scare Jessica to Death or Rosemary's Baby. Absolutely, but know? it's just that thing you of like, yeah. You just have to keep watching these things. You just have to keep revisiting things that are are more or less gone. You know, I mean, Scream has, I think, for some people, like, has now become, oh, that's a classic horror movie. You know, yeah, and right. and that's fine. That's just what happens. But uh, it's especially weird with a movie like Scream when it was. It was not. It was. It was the opposite of a classic horror movie. It was like a modern mm. horror movie, and now right. it's dated in a way. And that's. Just, I don't know. That's sort of fascinating. That the movie that was so, you know, on trend in nineteen ninety six. There's so many elements of it now that either feel dated or just feel like overdone since this. Um, that something that was so fresh is now so much more just a point of reference. You know. Yeah. Again, it goes back to that like. 90s aesthetic that we're we're trying to put our finger on right and Mm -hmm. i just think so much of this movie has that and yet there's there's also this timelessness to it even though it's definitely set in 1996 the the 
the story, the coaster that we go on is it works. Still. Mm-hmm. Well, it's like, you know, when I, we've talked about this before, like trying to put our finger on what is that nineties feeling? And like, for example, Rose McGowan driving that beetle, wearing the short sleeve oh. turtleneck. That is what the nineties is. In those shoes, yes. that's the '90s. Like, yes, those clunky shoes, clunky yeah. chunky shoes. I mean, I had I remembered and forgot, and then remembered again how significant the soundtrack is. None of them are oh. songs that I necessarily knew, but I was like, oh yeah, Scream had like a soundtrack of like mm-hmm. like pop rock hits. You know, uh, mm-hmm. I mean, my favorite, of course, is the one over the credits. I just love that one. The whisper to a scream. Ah, oh, I, I love that one. But oh no, no, actually, there's that other one. There's that one that sort of sounds like a Western after everyone kind of starts mm-hmm. going into like lockdown. Yeah. Boots. Boots is what I think of it. Oh, yeah. I just it's, love uh, that. I just think of boots. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, the 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 soundtrack certainly lives in a in an era. If we're talking about costumes here, I mean, first of all, Sydney's final girl outfit is part of an iconography uh along with, you know, Drew Barrymore's outfit. But the other thing I noticed are those the sweaters that Stu and Billy wore. It was kind of this jock preppy thing that would happen, and they were always a little long. Yes, there were these long, like structure sweaters, or you know, yeah. something that was that was where those sweat waffle shirts. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember those shirts. I remember those sweaters because it was like that era and that fashion. Obviously, that was when I was kind of realizing I was gay and kind of you know trying to you know kind of had that kind of awakening of being a weird teenager trying to like figure out who you are. And I remember seeing that kind of fashion and thinking, Oh, that's, that's the kind of guy I want to be. I want to be that. And it didn't, it never looked right on me, you know? Right. Beige and cream colors. Yeah. Yeah. Like things never fit the same way that they did on Skeet Ulrich. Yeah. Sure. Right. Because he has huge shoulders and he was 25. Yeah. (laughs) Right. They're all like they, that's certainly, and I know they're probably doing that on purpose, but like, all of them are such grown fucking adults, you know, like mm, totally. I think Drew Barry. That was like a thing. Yeah, yeah. Cause like Drew Barrymore and Nev Campbell were born in like, you know, the early mid seventies. And so, yeah, they're already, <laughs> you know, into their twenties, but that's also what these movies in the eighties did. It was like, they'd cast people who were clearly 32 playing 16. Right. Right. And I think that was kind of the joke about never been kissed as well. Right. Right. It was like, uh, it was very clear that she wasn't 17. <laughs> yeah, and I think Strangers with Candy even kind of mm-hmm. goes, it references that idea of like, you know, oh, well, it works, mm-hmm. you know. Um, Though I'll say that like, <laughs> Nev Campbell, it, it doesn't bother me because she does look very young and does read very young. Mm-hmm. The, yeah. the drag of the teenager really works with Nev. Oh, and it all helped with that little nighty that she it's wore. that nighty it's the nighty <laughs> the the nighty and the bangs and the ponytail uh yes so perfectly introduced to us it, to the point where skeet uh billy loomis he even comments on the nighty which i loved he's like do you wear this right like, yeah of course i wear right it. <laughs> uh skeet ulrich that like that type of guy that look and especially like and what i mean is that kind of guy and that look and in the or in the mid 90s you know what i mean like mm-hmm. I, I can't if i take him out of that era all, a lot of the appeal goes away but oh like there was a time where like that summed it up for me i was like yep 
I want him to crawl into my window. Come to my window, Skeet. Uh, yes. Just to a T. I was like, oh, that's that's what I want. Of course, I'm 12, but that's what I want, you know? Right, right. And I mean, he also had that same aesthetic in the craft. So obviously a Matron alum. Oh, he Skeet was Alec. in the craft. Yes. Oh, that's so weird that he had never in the craft. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Well, you know, so, I just to kind of, uh, I could have seen Feruza Balk as Tatum. No way. Yeah. No. I love it. I love the no. idea of it. No, I love it. I think she wouldn't be as gothy, but I love the idea of, of that kind of crossover. Mm-hmm. Uh, I get it. Feruza Balk to me, her mouth is too big for Tatum. Well, like there was something dainty about Tatum, but she was so brash that worked. And it was kind of comedic how like how brash she was and, um, uh, you know, just kind of like dominant because she was certainly just like this dominant character. Yet she looked like one of those bimbos from the 80s. She has a vague alien quality in this. Like her eyes are a little mm. set far apart and the hair almost mm-hmm. looks like if you took her hair off, there's an alien head underneath, you know? Uh, I get what you're saying. There's just like this saying. weird, and so maybe that's why I can see Feruza Balk because in her own way, Feruza Balk looks like an alien. Yes. Okay. Um, so just to kind of talk about Nev uh, and that little nighty, um, Nev Campbell. I feel like if Nev Campbell were to be cast ten years ago in this movie, uh, or who would play Nev Campbell's character, it would be Kristen Stewart because she does that like. Touching yeah. her face, stammering thing. Yeah. So there's this thing that Nev does. It's she tightens her lips, but it's mostly her upper lip covering the bottom lip. She does the shoulder shrug and then the head cocks to the side. And she's kind of like, mm. Mm. she does that thing so many times. Mm-hmm. And that's very Kristen Stewart to me. Yeah, I see that. I see the Kristen Stewart, Nev Campbell connection. I feel like Kristen Stewart. I, I think I unfairly judge as being a boring actress just because everyone tells me she's a boring actress, but she's definitely like gotten acclaim for different performances she's done. Uh, I think that the Kristen, the further Kristen Stewart gets away from Twilight, the more I'm interested in her in a role like this. Definitely. Um, I would, I, I mean, it's interesting to think about like actresses today. Like who would I want to see? Like, like what would Saoirse Ronan be in Scream in 2020? You know what I mean? I mean, that's what's so that's what's so fabulous about Nev's performance is like Nev can fucking scream. Yeah. She can, she has eye choreography. She has lip choreography. She is so, it's like um, Elizabeth Moss levels of uh, just her face doing so much for her. Cause Nev, like granted, I also love the things that Nev does with the terrible dialogue in this movie, but the things that Nev is able to do with her face is, I think, what adds to her performance as a scream queen because she can fucking scream, cry, look frightened, but still kick fucking ass. Mm. And I don't know many, I don't know if Sure, 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 Sure Ronan is going to be able to do that. Maybe Florence Pugh. I could see her. <laughs> Maybe Florence Pugh. Sure, Sure Ronan, I'll give her a chance. She's been nominated for like six Oscars. I bet she could, she could give it a shot. Uh, or Saoirse Ronan as Tatum, actually. I could get into that. Okay. Um, okay. Yeah, Sydney. I don't know. I don't know who... I mean, I'll, I'll go with Kristen Stewart, but I don't know who else I would... Uh, I feel like I don't know many... Kristen Stewart could... Yeah. Sorry, go ahead. No, I was like, I'm just thinking, uh, was... how many other young lady actresses do I know right now? Like, where do we cast Beanie Feldstein, you know? 
right. I mean, uh, Kristen Stewart could not do what Nev does in the sense of emoting that much with her face and the crying and the screaming. Like, Nev's face during the bathroom scene, Nev delivering the line, how do you gut someone, is so studied. (laughs) And then, of course, there's the line reading of, well, what's the point? They're all the same. Some stupid killer stalking some big-breasted girl can't act who's always running up the stairs when she should be running out the front door. It's insulting. Like, Ugh. I just was, it was such a, it was such a Dawson's Creek delivery, you know? It was so, so good. Yeah. Like, I guess it's like, and this is the same thing that Dawson's Creek would do, and obviously the Kevin Williamson connection is obvious, but what I think of that line reading and the, the all of the alliteration and all of the, the, the uh, self-work cleverness of it, I feel like what drives me nuts about it is that it's said so casually and it's not casual dialogue. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like yeah. it should be like yeah. they're all the same. Some stupid killer stalking some big-breasted girl. You know, like you have to land on each content concept like concept of the of the line you know what i mean uh yeah but in in the context of this movie it needs to be something that's just kind of massaged it's almost like its own little easter egg for horror movie fans i feel like that line was for horror movie fans only yes and then the other people in the theater were like okay get on with it is she gonna get chased and then she does exactly what she says she shouldn't do she goes up the fucking stairs yeah right it, it it's so good. Um, the the line I love from that scene that Nev does, and I don't know if anybody told her to do this or not, but it's the "What am I doing, huh? What am I doing?" When she's picking her nose. <laughs> but whenever I, when I see that scene, I just think of like, oh, you're touching your boogers. What am I doing, huh? <laughs> um, and then I there's so what I love about this next part is you can also see the the camera light. Come in her eye, oh, like reflecting in yeah, her eye. Uh-huh. When she says, "Fuck you, you cretin," <laughs> cretin, like the choice. Of, oh yeah, cretin. Like instead of saying yeah. creep, you cretin. Yeah, cretin. <laughs> hey creeps. <laughs> so good. Uh, so hey, a creeps. Hey creeps. Hey creeps. Hey, creeps. Just kind of a little ear yeah. tug if he's listening. Yeah, hey creeps. Mm-hmm. Um, Live her alone, Mary. Live her alone. That uh, is also because that makes me think of that scene of of. Um, I guess it's the five of them sitting by the fountain or whatever, sitting outside talking about Casey's death. And it's so like, again, like if, if I, if I wasn't aware that scream was doing this on purpose, I'd roll my eyes because just like the set, the way they're all sitting is so set Mm. up and is so like, like this isn't comfortable. This isn't natural. This is a, uh, th- this is a promotional image for the gap. You know what I mean? Yes. But they're doing that on purpose. And I think that's what kind of, you know, is the saving grace. You know, I this just popped in my head. But Rose McGowan, if I were to recast Rose McGowan maybe five, six years ago, I would cast Mila Kunis. Oh, yes. I could see that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. big breasted, gorgeous, but strong. Well, you know, and like, let's just keep going down that path because I could see Natalie Portman as Sydney. Oh, yeah. Oh, and and Barbara Hershey, as Barbara Hershey as whoever she wants to play, <laughs> as as Matthew Lillard yeah. as Stu. <laughs> it's gonna be a scream. <laughs> 
God, I would pay, I don't know how much I would pay to see Barbara Hershey in a, like, just a, a table read playing Stu's character. Oh, I mean, it's, yeah. <laughs> It it's the weirdest combination, but I'm I'm there. It's it's pickles and peanut butter, but I'm there for it. Yeah, liver alone, get it? Liver alone. Ugh. You know what? If we're gonna talk about nobody told her to do that in this movie, it's Matthew Lillard. Matthew Lillard, I feel like, is like a John Lovitz. He gets cast, and then he brings a different character. Oh, there's just this elasticity to him, this rubberiness of everything. And he's yeah. he's almost too much, but then it's yes. like it's just that fine line of it's almost too much, but because it's consistent, it it works and then it really makes the ending and makes kind of those scenes towards the end even that more impactful. Like I always think of of him like, you know, laying there you know in the kitchen or you know against the table being like oh i think you stabbed me too much you know too deep or oh you hit me with the phone and i think oh it's the same stew who was like mm-hmm. raz and randy in the video store it's the same stew is bleeding out in the kitchen right now and that's really kind of interesting yeah what's great about his performance is that it's back mapped right i feel like they he found out who he was going to be in the last scene and that informed his character for the rest of the movie. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really, really smart. He, again, another Matron alum from Serial Mom. Oh, that's right. Oh, that's right. Oh, the alums. This is Nev's first. And granted... No, it's not her it's, first. She was in The Craft. Oh, she was in The Craft. We've talked about this. We've talked about this. <laughs> she got her back peeled. Yeah. Um, so we're really swimming in it now. And, and for anyone, cause it's a free skate listen, Matreon alums are people who've been in movies. We've talked about on a Patreon episode before that that's probably in painfully obvious, but Drew Barrymore, uh, Nev, I don't think we talked about Rose McGowan before. No, we have not. Skeet Ulrich. We have from the craft. Uh, we was in the craft. I don't know craft. if you knew that he was. Right. Yeah, we, we, <laughs> Matthew Lillard. We have from Sirium. Courtney Cox. I think um, it's her first time. New. New. She's new. And so is David Arquette. Mm-hmm. Um, Henry Winkler is also new. Yeah, probably. Yeah. Um, um, Liv Schreiber. New. Jamie Kennedy. New. So we're not really. Swimming. I guess we're not. <laughs> I guess we're, we're just waiting. We're just waiting. Uh, sure. Sure. Yeah. Uh, I. I want to, so we kind of got a little bit off. No, I guess we didn't get off. We're fine. Um, But the one character we have yet to talk about um, really is Courtney Cox. I mean, there's so much more I want to say about Nev, and I feel like it will come out um, because when we talk about Courtney, it'll happen. But Courtney Cox, what what are your thoughts on A, Courtney Cox, and B, Gail Weathers in this movie? Well, you know, I know that uh, Courtney really lobbied to be in this movie and really wanted to play this character and, and you know, you know, won the role. Uh, and who is she up against? I think it was I don't know who else they were considering for this, but I think she just was not top of the list. And I think, you know, because of friends, I think that people had this, you know, like perception of who she was, that she was essentially just an extension of Monica. And so it was really an attempt to try to play a different type of character. And so Mm. uh, I don't know who they could have gotten. I mean, let's just, what if it was Marissa Tomei, you know, let's just say that Um, it would be incredible. But I think that Courtney does a good job. I think that she brings the kind of, um, trashy tabloid energy and I buy it from her whereas from Marissa Tomei I might have felt it was a bit of a caricature does that make sense like 
yes courtney was yes. the right fit to play this you know nancy odell type Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know it's interesting when we talk about recasting scream because someone like drew barrymore someone like nev campbell someone like skeet Ulrich, someone like courtney cox i feel like they they're part of a blueprint like i can't imagine anybody else in that neon green dress to the point where like if you go fast forward to scream three and you see parker posey dressed as gail weathers you only think of Courtney Cox. Yeah. And maybe that's because of what the Scream franchise has done to iconicize and canonize this movie. But, like, I can't think of anybody else wearing that neon green dress and that hair. I mean, it's... The hair in in the first Scream is great. As we all know, the hair gets worse later into the series. Ugh. But so fabulously worse. Just tremendously worse. Just monstrously worse. (laughs) It's worse. It's so much worse. It's worse. Uh, She's worse in Scream 4. But uh, I love the hair. I love the blonde highlights. I love the green dress. I love the the Act 3 look with the leather jacket and the red underneath. Like, I, Mm. I... you know, I think that I like her involvement. I like that she gets to have the gunshot at the end. Yes. Um, I yeah. I feel. Well, I I love the idea of someone like. And you think, you think about if there was Scream. It's a totally different movie, but imagine that there isn't a Sydney character, or our final girl is Gail. It so flips the script. It's so like someone who's been mean, someone who has like a nefarious past, publishing that book. You know, mm-hmm. uh, this is someone who's primed to die, and I, I just love the idea that she, she in her own way is is one of the final girls in this movie, and that is a nice surprise. So yeah, I'm yeah. happy to see I'm her. Surpri- I'm surprised the girl with the Indigo Girls poster in her room survives. Right? Oh, Whereas, God, you know, uh, I mean, I was <laughs> like, well, oh, she's a virgin. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the girls. Girls in the 90s that listen to those Lilith Fair, Indigo Girls types, um, unironically, not being lesbians. Like, it, mm-hmm. it, it reminds me a little bit of my sister Nancy. Like, it's very specific. They, it, it was like they were fed it and then didn't really know what they were listening to. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. Oh, uh, what was that song? That's a whole other podcast. Closer I Am to Fine. That's what it is. Closer oh, I, I Love that I love song. that song. But, but you know my favorite Indigo Girls song is? No. Ugh. Ga- Galileo. I don't. I love Galileo. I think I actually only know that one song. Oh, you don't know, and you don't know Ghost. Ghost is also no, fabulous. no. I uh, I have such a limited Indigo Girls reference uh, catalog. So 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 Galileo is um. How long till my soul gets it right? You don't know that. No. One? Oh God, King of Night Vision, King of Insight. Oh, it's a Galileo. Go download it, Marys, if you're out there listening and you don't know Galileo by the Indigo Girls. The lyrics are super powerful. Oh, I fucking love that. I love that song. Anyway, sorry. Uh, not not necessarily a dig on the Indigo Girls, but more on why does Sydney Prescott have an Indigo it's, Girls poster in her room? Yeah, well, it's like everything <laughs> in this movie is a choice. You know, like everything's a choice. Mm-hmm. It was like. What was the thought of like, oh, this like this is clearly somehow tied to the to the hair and the nightgown and the you know the bedroom that's yes. still a little fourteen and not quite seventeen. You know what I mean? Like Sydney's bedroom mm-hmm. hasn't quite grown up, you know. But it's like sure, 
did did she think that by putting this Indigo Girls poster up that she got at Spencer's after she got her ears pierced to Claire's was going to age the room up a bit, you know? Well, you know, it, her mom just died, so. Oh, her mom did just die. Yeah, so. So, it was hard. It was really, it was a circus, and all these cameras keep reminding her of that. Anyway, yeah. uh, Courtney Cox. Courtney Cox, best line for Courtney, for Courtney Cox in this movie um, I'll talk about it in a second, but I just want to spend a moment for Courtney Cox in the sequel because um, I loved Courtney Cox in the sequel so much, even though that hair, the like the stripe was so ugly. Um, when the way she picks up the payphone and says the killer is cotton fucking weary. I, I love her in the sequel. I think she really kind of comes into her own in the sequel, whereas the first one, it's all a surprise. Mm-hmm. And basically, she's epitomized by the line, I know you're about 50 pounds overweight, but when I say hurry, please interpret it as move your fat tub of lard ass now. Brilliant, mm-hmm. brilliant delivery. Well, and the movie like ends on Gale. Like, that was what one of the things that really stood out to me was like, oh, the mm. movie, there's A, there's no epilogue, and B, it doesn't end on Nev, on Nev, on Sydney and her father. It ends on Gale and this like, transformed Gale or this, you know, it, it makes sense to me that we see Gale coming into her own in the sequel because the movie ends with that. So, yeah. And does she really even come into her own? She's a fame whore, right? Like she's always been a fame whore. And that's, what's also kind of smart about this franchise is they take these real life horror stories and then turn them into these terrible horror movies, you know? And I think that there was controversy with this particular franchise, Scream, because, like, it's based on something that actually happened and whatnot. And so it was even, even more meta. And so to end on her still sensationalizing something that was very real, even to her own life, totally makes sense with the media and what the media does to reality. Yeah, I I guess I, even though she was presenting it as a news story, there was, what I was reading from like Courtney's very nuanced performance was that it was more lived in, you know, like that she was, she was being less Nancy O'Dell and more Diane Sawyer. Okay. You know what I mean? Okay. Um, yes. So yes. my question, and this may be a spoiler for folks who have not seen all the Scream movies, I know Scream 5 is coming out in a couple of years. Is Gail still alive or has she died by now? Gail is definitely still alive. Okay. She she should have died in the third one, mm-hmm. but uh, her her and Dewey survive. Okay. Um, good, good. Because yeah, yeah. I mean, there's a couple, like, I mean, Sydney's still alive. I know it doesn't like Scream 4 end. No, maybe she's dead, but Sydney's still alive because she's in Scream 5. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. But Randy dies in the second one, right? Randy dies in the second one, but makes a cameo in the in the third one to educate everybody about the the what a trilogy means. Oh and, yeah, I don't think and, I saw uh, the third one. The sister is played by. Oh, you're gonna. Oh my God, it, you love her. Oh fuck. Oh fuck. Okay, okay. We have to find out who plays Randy's fucking sister. Why is this name? Losing me. Is it okay. Heather? Uh, yes. Heather Matarazzo. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It's Heather Heather Matarazzo. Please. Yeah. Dawn Wiener. Uh, yeah. Please. Yeah. Dawn Wiener. Um. So anyway, the 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 second one is. I love the second one. Uh, the The first one and the second one are both written by Kevin Williamson. Mm-hmm. The third one, I I think, was based on Kevin Williamson characters. I think Scream Four came back and they. Did they bring Kevin back? I feel like because 
Yes, they did. So Kevin came back for the fourth one, which is why it gets so much more clout than it probably deserves. I because see. it was it was okay. Um I I I really don't like Emma Roberts and I really don't like Hayden Penetieri. Oh, but she's um, got that haircut. Oh no, but she's got that she haircut. She does have the haircut. Yes, she does. It's it's fabulous. Um but you know, I they didn't th- those two characters did not work for me. Mm-hmm. Um and you know, Allison Brie is in it for a little while. Rory Culkin is, you know, he plays a big role in that movie. Um, but it 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 got more clout than I think it deserved because I don't think it knew exactly what it was doing. Mm. Um, but the the best one is obviously the first one. Um, most people hate the second one, but you have to watch the second one, knowing that they're doing. Even more. Kevin Williamson is doing even more to the genre in the second one, um, which is why I think it's so enjoyable. I remember enjoying it, but I haven't seen it in a long time. Um, Scream. It was it was kind of a punchline to have Laurie Metcalf be the villain. Yeah. I mean, that I mean, obviously, I I love the I love the inclusion of the Metcalf, but um, (laughs) never mad at it. Uh, I do just want to say that ironically enough in Scream 3, guess who's in Scream 3? Oh, I know. Who? There's there's two there's two reasons to watch Scream Three. The first one is Parker Posey, and the second is Scott Foley. Well, okay, so there's three reasons because yeah, I agree with you. I agree, yes and yes, <laughs> but I just wanted to mention that Debbie Reynolds, ironically, uh, not Debbie Reynolds, Carrie Fisher. Uh, no, Nancy O'Dell. <laughs> <laughs> Nancy O'Dell. So I guess I was right. Uh, and it, it, who who does she play? She plays a female reporter. So, oh, okay. Uh, okay. so I was sniffing her out. I knew there was a Nancy O'Dell energy <laughs> about Scream. So here's the thing about that. I since you're talking about Nancy O'Dell and reporters, and Laurie Metcalf played a reporter in the second one. Th- the franchise also talks about the media, uh, and what I love about Gail Weathers is she is a part of the media, and that never changes. In I think the first three movies, the fourth one's a little different, but. There's this one line by this reporter, and she says, How does it feel to almost be brutally butchered? People want to know. They have a right to know. It, <laughs> it epitomizes how awful the media yeah. is. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that it's it, that, uh, like, the, the, the commentary on that in the first scream is sort of light. You know, but it makes sense that mm. as the series went on, as time went on, as our experience with the media changed, you know, over the, over the course of Scream, <clears throat> you know, when the first Scream came out, the idea of like news media and the Internet and all like none of that was what it was when by the time you get to Scream 4. And so it makes sense mm-hmm. that that commentary would evolve as well. And that like sure. what Gail is known for is the book that she wrote a year ago, whereas the, the Gail of 2020 has a controversial Twitter account, you know. Uh huh. Oh, I see what you're saying. Absolutely. We'll see what happens to her in Scream Five. Uh, you know, speaking of Gail, the other iconic scene that everybody knows. I'll send you a copy, right? Uh, uh, and then <laughs> gets clonked. Um, and then, bam! Bitch went down. I'll send you a copy. Bam! Sid, <laughs> super bitch, so good. Yeah. You are so cool. That's what she says. You are so cool. <laughs> Uh, and you know, I think those like a lot of that goes back to kind of what, in what ways Sydney is a traditional final girl, and in what ways that she breaks the mold. I think that there's that mm. commentary too that in some ways, and how we meet her in the beginning, it's just like the first scene in the movie is in the beginning. 
the moment you see Sydney in the nightgown and the and the ponytail and all that, you're like, okay, well, like these are all the tropes of a final girl, and she's virginal and she's soft spoken and she's resisting sex, and I like that. Then you know, then she flashes her boobs to Billy, and then that kind of starts to subvert it, and then her like yeah, punching Gail. I liked that. I I like that they broke the mold that, you know, the final girl doesn't always have to be not that she wasn't sympathetic in that moment, but she doesn't always have to make nice decisions until the end. You know what I mean? Like, I think mm-hmm. that's that's the thing with the final girl trope is that she just always, you know, makes kind decisions. She's never mean to anybody. She never hits anyone. She doesn't insult anybody. And, you know, God knows where she gets that fight in her to kill the killer in the end. Whereas Sydney, we get kind of a sense from even the first attack that like, yeah, it would make sense in Act Three that Sydney's going to figure out how to outwit these killers. Like, the the proof is there that Sydney is is quick on her feet and is not afraid to fight back. Oh yeah, she was already attacked, right? Mm-hmm. And she she evaded them somehow. Uh, you know, she talks right back to the guy harassing her on the phone. Like, she is her mother's daughter. You know, the strong willed smart woman. You know, yeah. I don't know. I I I also love the scene. When she first sees Billy after he comes back from jail, she like bumps into him. Mm-hmm. This is also mocked in the sequel um, with Tori Spelling. Ugh, it's and and then also scary movie. Uh, we haven't even talked. Oh about yeah, scary movie. that whole other layer. <laughs> yeah. Um, but you know the way that because he's so abusive in this scene when he's like, "God, you're such a bitch ever since your mom died," you know, and she she's hurt by it. But she fights back. She's like, what is it? Like, what, 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 what is it about you? Why aren't you getting this? Mm. Um, she's able to turn this terrible dialogue really into kind of another layer of Sydney, which I really appreciate. We also get that perfect moment that's super campy. I'm sorry if my traumatized life is an inconvenience to your perfect existence. And then the way she runs away and the way he says stupid, uh, which I think they mock in the sequel, um, is uh, is also memorable to me just the Mm -hmm. way Nev is in this movie well like that's a scene that I mean I know I keep saying this but like that's a scene that would be in an 80s slasher and it would be played straight and there wouldn't be any Mm -hmm. kind of like like I think it's interesting how there are a lot of moments in Scream that where it's like oh my god this is so clunky but it's it's supposed to be like you're supposed to. Yeah. It's so interesting how you're supposed to feel like you're watching an 80s slasher and you're supposed to feel also like you're watching a commentary on 80s slashers at the same time. And you never know necessarily when they're switching the script, you know? Right. Right. Oh, and, and they do, they do consistently switch that script up and I love it. I, I love all of the commentary from Randy you know, at the time it was just so fresh and, you know, you're, you're sitting there being like, oh, that's right. Oh, my God, the rules. Oh, my God, this makes so much sense. It's so smart. Yeah. And the, the, the whole movie uh, that last kind of act three, act three is half the movie. It's yeah. The party scenes, 42 minutes. Yeah, it's uh, the one thing I love about it. That's kind of another great example of this, like the layers and and kind of using 80s and 70s horror movies, you know, as a reference point in Scream is the way that Halloween plays and the soundtrack to the score to Halloween ends up scoring scenes in Scream. Like Mm. there's one part where there's a musical sting at the same in Halloween and in the Halloween score and in the movie. And it lines up with like a musical sting moment in Scream when like Randy opens the closet door or something. There's, it's Randy or it's Billy, but it's um, 
it's uh, that's I think actually one of my favorite moments in the movie because it's like oh what a brilliant example of what you're doing right now you're literally having Halloween and its beats play out in this movie at the same time mm. yeah the the whole idea of you know look behind you look behind you mm-hmm. and then you know he's not looking behind him there was so much that they did with this movie in the third act that they just kept it going they they didn't stop just to you know end the movie with suspense mm-hmm. they kept the commentary going which i thought was so smart right up until you know they they kept the references going right when billy and Stu are the psychopathic killers explaining everything yeah uh you know it God, it's so smart. Even her asking Stu, well, what's your motive? Come on, you got to have a motive. Right, um, right. And and I love that he was just like peer pressure. Like I like that Billy had this very involved <laughs> motive that we come to expect. That's the traditional mm-hmm. method and the traditional mm-hmm. like cliche. And then Stu is the 90s commentary on that where it's just like peer pressure. It's sure. really smart. Um, yeah, and like, and just in general, the movie, like I... It flies by like it like you get to that party scene like when Tatum went into the garage to get the beer I was like oh we're already at Tatum's death oh like Mm -hmm. this movie just like I I think it was like realizing how much of the party scene was the movie Uh, and I think that's like one of the things that Scream does well is there's really no lull there's really no like build up because everything immediately starts with Casey's scene and then Sydney's attacked like 10 minutes after that and I think that um, I don't know. Like I just, I was surprised at how much this movie just jetted by. Yeah. It, it had that flow. It wasn't too long. I, I am in retrospect, looking back at Tatum's death. I didn't expect Tatum to go out like this. Like girl, get out of the thing. You're not stuck. Well, right. 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 Like I was watching that as the door went up. I was like, okay, now just slip back out of the doggy door. Drop out. Yeah. Yeah. You got your chunky fucking shoes on um, and and make a run for it. Uh, I mean, I I appreciated how much Tatum fought back, you know. Uh, Yeah. I I like that. I mean, um, you know, it kind of makes you wonder. It's like, huh, all of this abuse that both Tatum and Sydney have have uh, in in terms of fighting back to to, uh, to uh, against Stu and Billy, and neither of them have any like bruises on their face or anything like that, you know. Um, right. I mean, that's what's also kind of comedic about the the ghost face, right? He he's like he is this own kind of dopey clown mm-hmm. in a way, and and that's why I think Scary Movie worked so well because. Yeah, you hit him with the freezer door. Right, you know, you right. Throw the mm-hmm. beer bottles at him. He's just like, oh, he's falling, and he's very klutzy. It's like he can't see through the mask. You know, right. it's so funny. Yeah, it's true. Like I feel like there are like especially the freezer door. It was like, oh my god, is this scary movie or scream? Right, right. Yeah, there's it, it's there's slapstick mm-hmm. comedy in this too, yeah. which I think is interesting. They they manage to have laughs in that final scene too, uh, with Stu and Billy. Yeah. Like as, as hard as that was to watch, Ugh. like even Sydney was us when she's like, you guys are sick. Right. Uh, they, there was still funny dialogue cause Matthew Lillard was cast. You know? Yeah. You know, let's face it. Your mother was no Sharon Stone. And like, that was a great <laughs> yeah. line. The little yeah. hand gesture. Oh, that was, that was great. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It was, I, I mean, 
I hadn't seen Scream in a while, and I, uh, I mean, even I love a good chase scene at the end and a good running around scene. We got a lot of that. I loved when Sydney mm-hmm. kicked in the fence so that she could get through. Oh, yeah. I love that. Uh, oh, it was. Ugh. Ugh. Yeah, there was outdoor stuff. There was the you know Dewey and. Gail finding the car. Mm-hmm. Um, y- you know, we haven't talked too much about Dewey. I don't love Dewey as a character. Uh, I don't remember how I felt about Dewey when I was a kid. I know that I was never attracted to David Arquette. No, he he just plays a little like... Like, I feel like, again, this was perfect for scary movie because when I think of the Dewey ripoff in scary movie, I think of the guy with the vacuum hose on his dick, you know? And I'm like, yeah, that oh. was Dewey. You know, he had to, you know, he's giving himself a, a Hoover blowjob. Uh, and, and it's, he is, he's such, there's something about David Arquette in this where I'm like, is this David Arquette playing a character or is this David Arquette? You know, like this sort yeah. of dopiness. Um, because, you know, never been kissed. It's <laughs> kind of the same beats you know Mm-hmm. yeah i the best line that i love and it's not his obviously but um you know they're leaving the police station and tatum is like come on deputy dewey boy we're ready to go now and he's like you know don't talk to me like that blah blah blah, blah. only my superior can talk like that to me and she goes your janitor is your superior Ugh. and i just love that as a retort <laughs> Ugh. In that, in the, in the short sleeve turtleneck, in that skirt, in those mm. boots, saying that line, mm. that's the '90s. <laughs> yes, Rose McGowan got so many great moments and costumes in this movie. Uh, it's just a shame to know kind of like the backstory of all of Rose McGowan during this era, because you know, very, very dark, and that's not what this podcast is particularly about. But God, you got to give it to her. Well, she was I, I, right on track. According to the IMDb trivia, she enjoyed the shooting of Scream very much. Apparently, this was a film okay. that she enjoyed making. But obviously, you know, when you see executive produced by Harvey Weinstein, you know, uh, it, Awful. It, it leaves a taste. Yeah. Awful. But that's a lot of things. Uh, like, I mean, I, I saw that and I was like, well, that doesn't take anything away from Scream because so many great movies have been produced and directed and written and starred awful people. And, you know, it's just kind of making that, making that delineation. And, you know, he's, Mm. he's executive produced a lot of great movies. So, uh, I, I, uh, I think we can end a little bit more love on Nev Campbell. Yeah. I'd love Um, to not end on giving Harvey Weinstein anything. I'm not saying he did anything good. I'm just saying there's lots of movies I love. And then I see, Oh, he executive produced. And it's like, well, it's just because he's part of Miramax. Like, yeah. 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 And, 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 you know, uh, just, uh, I guess I'll tail end on that, but, uh, scream three, you haven't seen scream three, but scream three is like, there's this whole, this whole storyline of the executive producer that's creepy with young girls. Oh, wow. Um, and he produced it, right? Like, yeah, there's, it, wow. it's really, it's really fucked up. Yeah. But anyway, um, no, Nev Campbell carried this movie. This movie is Nev Campbell. And I remember I was, you know, a sixth grader gay boy who had pictures of Nev Campbell on his wall be. And, and it, it's just her impact, not only on the horror genre and straight boys, but also gay boys. And she, God, you can say whatever you want about Nev Campbell to me. I, I will not 
accept anything but positive. I love the way she touches her face. I love the the the, the little gestures, the iography, everything. And in every screen movie, I appreciate Nev Campbell. Every single one. And I'm so thrilled that she is coming back for the fifth one. She is she is this franchise if it's not Wes Craven, right? Mm. So I, uh, you cannot kill off Sidney Prescott. So if she dies in Scream Five, there will be letters. Yeah, I hope. I hope not. I hope she doesn't die. I, I mean, I do feel like there is that kind of meta thing of like, man, if Sidney Prescott was a real person, if I were her. I would find <laughs> an island off the coast of nowhere and stay there. I'd be like, enough. I just, uh, yeah. I mean, that's what she tries to do in Scream Three. She she starts working for a crisis hotline, right. like in the middle of nowhere, and uh, and and yet, uh, you know, the killer still finds her. But um, yeah, she is a treasure, and in this movie. What she is able to do to the final girl and with the final girl character uh, is so good. Because before this, it was Jamie Lee Curtis, right? And that Mm -hmm. was very specific. Yeah. And we love Jamie Lee Curtis, also a strong person, right? But Nev Campbell, is she just has the ability... And I don't want to just keep saying Elizabeth Moss's name because Elizabeth Moss has a, a totally different idea of nuance. But what Nev Campbell is able to do in these different situations as not just a victim but the 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 victim who is going to be the survivor right there's a specific tone to it uh i just love every close-up of her i think she's perfect well i uh kind of thinking of of sydney and her in enduring this year after year it makes me think there's this great quote from the office where michael is having uh, a really bad day and he says I feel like Nev Campbell in Scream 2. She thinks she can go off to college and be happy. And then the murderer comes back, starts killing off all her friends. And it's just, I love the specificity of, I feel like Nev Campbell in Scream 2. Oh, God. Scream 2, you know, we're not talking about Scream 2 for very long, but it is worth noting um, that it is it is worth watching. Um, the, I will never forget what my mom said when Scream 2 ended, because I watched Scream 2 with my mom. And, uh, you know, there's this last shot of Nev Campbell, like, walking on campus, and it's this, she's alone, uh, and it's like a zoom-out shot from above. And I go, oh, my gosh, that was, wasn't that so good, Mom? And she goes, God, it's just so sad. I'm like, what? She's like, all her friends are dead. <laughs> But she's right. I mean, that is she is. that is the thing. Even even in Scream, even you know, tying it back to the first one, there is something when you think about it. It's interesting that there's no there's no epilogue that we don't see Sydney again because when you think about it, it's like her best friend is dead, her boyfriend is dead, and tried to kill her. So did his best friend, who is now dead. Uh, Henry Winkler's dead. dead. Her mom's dead. At least her dad's alive, yeah. but his 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 Cutlass station wagon's ruined. So <laughs> it's just you know it it, it is kind of sad in a way. You know, I think about one little nuance of Scream. It was so odd and out of place, but they showed Sydney taking the bus home, which I'm mm. assuming is very mm-hmm. like '80s horror movie. But at, while she's walking off the bus. You hear somebody go, bye, Sydney. And I'm like, Sydney has bus friends. She has bus friends. <laughs> she, she's, is she 16 in this? Is she, cause it's like, there's no car. She's not, 
Right. You know, right. Maybe, she must be 16. But like, but Tatum drives, right? Tatum drives. So maybe Sydney just doesn't have a car, but Tatum does. But they maybe they're 17 and they've got their permits. Uh, maybe. But yeah, she takes the bus. She has bus friends. I feel like that's, it is, there's something about that. There's something about, I think that when that happened, it was another one of those like, oh, I've been here before. I've had this feeling mm. of the final girl getting off the bus and the bus driving away. And like, I know this moment, you know? Right, right. Also, you know, she because she takes a bus, she can't just drive away from the killer. Mm-hmm. You know, it's kind of in the middle of nowhere. I'm assuming that, that there was a lot of that kind of being set up there. But back to Scream 2, I just want to say, Liv Schreiber is in that movie. And I want Liv Schreiber to live in my home. Yes. I was going to say heart and realized what I really wanted. Yeah. Oh, God. Yeah. Jesus, Gail. You got more lives than a cat. Oh, oh, God. He's so good in that movie. Yeah, he's he's the kind of guy where it's just like, I, I can't even see. I don't. I, please don't show me the rest of the chest hair. the The chest hair peeking out from the top of your shirt is all I can take. Mm. You know. Mm. He's yeah. Uh, he's delicious in that movie. Laurie Metcalf is brilliant. I also love that uh, Dennis from Broken Hearts Club slash Pryor from Angel of America is he's in the sequel as well. Like the sequel is also very well cast. Jerry O'Connell. It's a choice. You know, he's kind of like yeah. the dumb I, boyfriend. I like Jerry O'Connell because I like, I feel like I like him. And so, you know what I mean? I don't, I don't like love him as an actor and more as like, Oh, I just think he seems like a nice guy. You know, I feel like he likes, he's good with the gays, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Right. Right. He's married to, uh, that fabulous woman, right? Uh, is it Rebecca Romaine? Uh, yes, he's married to yes, and I love Rebecca Romaine, so that's part yes, of it. Yeah, yes, yes, I love Rebecca Kale, but you know, well, Romaine's hey, you good know, too. yeah, I, you know, I just any any sort of Rebecca Leafy Green I can get together with. Um, but yeah, and you know, there's one scene in that movie that I think would make you cringe, where he's singing "I Think I Love You" in the cafeteria. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, I'm, I'm, yeah. yep. Um, and then the. Timothy Oliphant was who you were talking about. Who? That's who. Yeah, is. yes. Yeah. Um, I never know his name. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's like Timothy Oliphant. I always confuse with like at least two or three other actors who I can't even think of now, but they're apparently not Timothy Oliphant. Like, who's the mm-hmm. guy in Weeds? You know, that's. Oh, yeah. That's not Timothy. That's Oliphant. Not Timothy that's Oliphant, sure. which is not Elephant, but. Oliphant. So Timothy Oliphant is not in Angels in America. That's who I'm confusing him with. The guy in Angels in America. Uh, uh, Justin Kirk is, uh, yes Justin Kirk he was in Angels in America and he was in Weeds uh, and, and Weeds yes that's Weeds oh okay. this thank is thank you thank you for getting me all together yeah now I have to look at both of them side by side okay Justin Kirk Timothy Oliphant is this um, I mean once you no 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 I think this is fair this very similar it's kind of like yeah. how I often conflate Skeet Ulrich with Oh, who's no, not no. with them, with someone else. There's someone else who I, and I can't even think of who it is Some now. Sleazies. Oh, oh, like Christian Slater. Kind yeah, of, but right? like someone else, and I can't think of who it is, but, uh, oh no, it's going to drive me nuts. Well, Mary's, who does Skeet Ulrich remind you of? Ulrich, even. <laughs> um, Whatever you want. Not, yeah. Be, I mean, I, I, yeah, not Johnny I Depp. There's someone that he is giving me. Uh, yeah, Mary, I wish I could help you. Skeet Ulrich is just Skeet Ulrich for me. Yeah. Um, well, but, uh, 
Yeah. He, I don't know what what's he in now. He's in something now, isn't he? He's in he plays Riverdale. the dad in something. Yeah. Oh, Riverdale. Yeah. That's right. That's yeah. right. Riverdale. Um, oh, I is oh, I was gonna ask you, Mary. Yeah. Who, who's, who, who's who you're dating? Oh, do Dumper Mary in this, uh, in this right? Or wait, wait, fuck Mary Kill. Oh, fuck Mary Kill. Um, yeah. Uh huh. Fuck Mary Kill. Uh, in in Scream for the men. Okay, so I so I'll give you okay. I'll give you three give because three. there are there are a few men. We'll do two rounds of this. Okay, so first is David Arquette, Matthew Lillard, and Skeet Ulrich. All right, fuck Mary Kill, Skeet Ulrich slash Ulrich as Billy, Stu by Stu by Matthew Lillard, uh, or Dewey. Um, I think I'm gonna kill Stu because whether I'm marrying him or I'm fuck, I just don't want it. I just either way, it's just too much. Um, and then I think I I think I'm actually going to marry Dewey and kill no, no sorry and fuck Billy because Dewey long term like I don't really want to have sex with him but I think he's a nice guy and he'll you know be a good provider and he's got a nice good you know public job so you know he has good benefits and then Billy I think would be great in bed the whole time I'd be thinking what actor do you remind me of uh but I think over time would wear down my my you know mental and emotional wellness uh so that's my answer. Round two. You want to play a game? Sorry. Uh, oh, round please two. Let me go. Jason, 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 Jason. <laughs> um, so, fuck Mary Kill, Jamie Kennedy. Stay with me. Uh-huh. Jamie Kennedy, Henry Winkler in this era, or Lawrence Haicht, Haicht, uh Neil Prescott, the Sydney's dad. Okay, Henry Winkler, Sydney's dad, or who was the third one? Randy. Or Randy. Henry Winkler, Sydney's dad, or Randy. I am going to... I think I'm going to kill Randy. It's just too much. Again, it's just too much. (laughs) I'm just going to kill Randy, and then I think I'm going to... I think I'm going to have to marry Sydney's dad. He seems like an even, you know, uh, he's a dad, so I'm into that. But I'd fuck Henry Winkler in a second. Oh, I was going to marry Henry Winkler because I feel like I would be very entertained by him and I would fuck Neil Prescott and uh, and yeah, I would kill Jamie Kennedy. Not because I think Jamie Kennedy is ugly, but, you know, if Neil if Sydney's dad is on the table, it's like, okay, I'm going to take that one. Sorry. Um, uh, yeah, that's kind of where I all am. All right. All right. <laughs> uh, fair enough. Fair enough. At least there's no competition, you know? Right. Right. Um, and then who would you decide now? Obviously, we know who you would play, Mrs. Becker, and then maybe Tatum's mom and whatnot. And then the pants. But if you were to, yeah. And then the pants, yeah. If you were to pick one of, like, the three main ladies... Sydney Prescott, Gail Weathers, or Tatum Riley, who's it going to be? I think, you know, while I love the idea of, I, I know that I'm not a Tatum, you know, like, so just I the, the short sleeve turtleneck sweater, it didn't fit me in the late 90s, it's not going to fit me now. Uh, I think I'm going to be Sydney, 
uh, there's something about her. I I like I love Gail, but I think I'm gonna go with Sydney. All right. All right. I'll gladly play Gail. I figured. I kind of felt like Gail, if we were to say of the top three, like Tatum is a bit more of the classic when we when we play the game of who would you play. Tatum is a little bit more of the yeah. classic role you would take. But mm-hmm. I could see you playing Gail. Yeah. Yeah. There's something about Gail Weathers, her name, the fact that Parker Posey plays her later, mm-hmm. uh, the third one. It's like, okay, you know, I'm going to be I'm going to be into this uh, for sure. Yeah. 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 Um, all right. Well, the, I'm glad we, uh, you know, uh, I'm glad we answered that. I'm glad we figured that out. We did it. We did it. Uh, yeah. I'm wondering if there's any uh, cast and creatives that we should mention besides just praising Kevin Williamson's script. Obviously, Wes Craven, you know. Oh, God. He's, he's been he's been doing it. I well, and, and rest in peace. He's dead now. Uh, yeah. I figured out. Marys and Marys alike. I figured out who I keep thinking of when I think of Skeet Ulrich slash. Ch- you know who it is? No. Jared Leto. <laughs> God, that doesn't work at all for me. Jared I don't Leto. See yes. I don't see it at all. Yeah. No. Yes. No. Yes. 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 I. I knew it. I that's well. That's at least what I always thought. I'm not saying I'm a subjective point of view, but at a certain point in the '90s, Jared Leto and Skeet Ulrich were on the same couch. The band member of Thirty Seconds to Mars, Mary. No, um, Jordan Catalano. Yes. Ugh, Jordan Catalano, my so-called life. I think if you compare Jordan Catalano era Jared Leto and Billy <laughs> Loomis era Skeet Ulrich, you will see the similarities. Uh, isn't Loomis such a great name? Billy Loomis? Like Billy Loomis? Oh, what a great name. It's, and uh, it's a reference to Halloween because it was Dr. Loomis. Yes. Yeah. Yes, um, Dr. Loomis. Yeah. yeah. Billy Loomis? Oh, so good. <laughs> Um, anyway, I think we can end our episode there. Uh, happy Halloween, Marys. Yeah, happy Halloween. Uh, happy Halloween, if we're going to bring Chloe Sevigny into this. Um, and this was a great film. Mm-hmm. I, 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 I'm happy to celebrate Halloween with you on this very, very, very creepy time in our world. Uh, just kind of escape into the 90s with you. I think, you know, uh, it's something to be said. I, I feel nostalgic for the 90s. Uh, I know the, yeah. the 90s were not great for everybody, but it's like I'm just nostalgic for any time other than right now. Mm-hmm. Right, totally. Uh, so, Marys, if you have any thoughts on Scream or Halloween, Halloween, uh, you can reach out to us on Twitter at AllRightMary. You can find us on the web at www.AllRightMary.com. Uh, you can also email us at AllRightMaryPodcast at gmail.com uh, and let us know what you think. Uh, we are giving this out as like a free skate episode. Uh, so, you know, maybe you have some other ideas for movies. Um, if you want, you can follow me on Twitter at JohnnyAlso1 or on Instagram at JohnnyAlso. And of course, you can hear more of me on In the Details, A Celebration of Nuance, uh, or Best Supporting Podcast, A Celebration of Best Supporting Actresses. And you can find me on Twitter at Colin Drucker and Instagram at Colin Drucker underscore. Uh, and uh, yes, I second that. Patreon.com slash All Right Mary. 
especially if you want to hear our Dragula Resurrection recap, that's out. That's Halloweeny. That's spooky. Uh, mm. Bitch, get into it, as they say. Yes, batch, batch. Mm-hmm. Uh, we will be recapping the Halloween special uh, for Only Marys. Yes, uh, RuPaul's uh, RuPaul's one that'll be coming out soon. Um, we have to watch it. I think it it already aired right now as we're recording it, but uh, we'll we'll put that out this week mm-hmm. um, for Only Marys. Otherwise, uh, Happy Halloween. Stay safe, you know, and uh, I'll be right back. Oh no. <laughs> The rules! <laughs> Jason! Jason! Yeah. Jason! Uh, you tricked me! <laughs> uh, anyway, bam, bitch went down. We'll talk to you soon, Mary. Cutscenes. Love comes down upon us and it flows like water burning with a hope of inside Books the colors of a bright elation stolen